Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to the author C.K. McDonnell. Uh, Queeve has written the Dublin trilogy of four books, uh, McGarry's stateside books as well, and some standalones thrown in. He's back with the first in a new comic supernatural thriller series called The Stranger Times. Now, we talk about why stand-up has made writing so much easier for him, uh, and it's not for the reason that you think. It actually involves not getting beaten up, You can hear about that in a sec. Uh, Also, we talk about how he gets to know his characters by discovering what annoys them. And you can hear why, in comic writing, sometimes the comedy gets in the way of the writing. I know what needs to happen. I know I have to get from point A to point B. And I think, really strongly, that comedy is not a genre in a book. I think comedy is a style. And it's just how you tell the story. It's not... And if you, when you're doing it wrongly, I think if you're trying to get to a joke instead of get to something that happens, that's where you go wrong. You have to respect the story above all else. There is more with C.K. McDonnell in this week's writer's routine. Yes. Welcome along. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine. It's the show where we have a look inside an author's day. Uh, very quickly, to start, thank you for all the, the love Uh, for the last episode with Kate Moss. She was brilliant, right? Extremely kind with her time and with her advice and her insight. Uh, Genuinely, I think it's one of the best episodes that we've ever done. I think it was episode like 140, 141, something like that. Um, And we're getting into it now. (laughs) I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And thanks for letting me know that you did over at writersroutine.com. Now, we're not sponsored this week, but I do want to flag up a new book that was sent my way. It's called The Pink Coffee Shop. It's by Ellie Barker. It's all about Rosie Nash, who works in telly and is very, very busy. And her only safe haven is The Pink Coffee Shop. Only one day when she turns up, someone else is in her seat and her life is never the same again. It's a novel of love and friendship and loss. Now, I'm flagging it up because Ellie is a fan of the show and she was kind enough to list this podcast in the acknowledgements for The Pink Coffee Shop, which is incredible work honestly one of the best things to happen in the three odd years since i've been doing this so ellie thank you so much for that Uh, if the book sounds up your street uh, if you love a heartwarming tale that's full of friendship grab a coffee of the pink coffee shop by ellie barker i'll stick the link for it in the episode notes and over at writersroutine.com now our guest this week on writers routine is ck mcdonnell 
Cueve used to be a stand-up comedian, gigging across the country and writing for telly. Uh, and now uh, he's a full-time author, a fiction author. His novels uh, are funny thrillers. He's got a way with words that touches on Douglas Adams, really, that style of surreal seriousness that he did so well. His new book is The Stranger Times. It's the start of a new comic supernatural thriller series all about Hannah Willis's first week working for a very strange newspaper. A struggling paper in Manchester dedicated to investigating the, uh, the, the unexplained. When then they discover that not everything they report on is madness and as much of a lie as they first thought. Uh, Now, we talk about the initial idea that he had for the story, also all about his writing room and about the the, the process of finding and building his dream writing office. You can hear how a writing year looks for Cueve as well, all about the post-it notes that let him know when things aren't going as well as he had hoped. And we chat about the difference between the craft of writing and waiting for inspiration. It's a brilliant chat this week. I think you'll really enjoy it and you'll get some good insights out of it as well. Uh, Now, Cueve is Irish, so he has a beautiful way with words. Um, I just thought I'd say that. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to it. Uh, and we talk about why he thinks that is in the episode two. So we'll get to that first. Let's kick things off with what C.K. McDonald sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. I now have an office in the back of my garden. So uh, I have my Big Mac, uh, literally, on the, the massive screen. And then uh, on one wall, I have a pin board with multiple cards and all different kinds of colours. Depending on where I am in the book, uh, when there's nothing on that board, it means I'm basically sitting there staring at space trying to figure everything out. Um, and uh, then the other wall is taken up with uh, an enormous picture of Deadpool. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, and then there's a there's a there's a very nice uh, glass door outside. I can see my dog, uh, who was either trying to get into the office or um, outside uh, relieving himself, which is you always fun to watch. <laughs> now take me down to the desk that you're on. Um, what would I find on it? Oh God, uh, d- detritus would be a fair word for a lot of us. Yeah, I've got it. I've, I've weirdly now. I've now currently got a ergonomic keyboard because I'm actually trying to touch, uh, teach myself to touch type. Of, would you believe? Um, I've sort of committed to this, and I'm trying. I'm trying to do it. Um, so yeah, it's just generally it, it's that uh, a lot of diet Pepsi cans, which uh, I've promised to cut back on, um, and uh, the odd, odd post-it notes, which I will slap up onto the big board quite a lot as well. So there'll be a lot of them knocking around. The the pin board then. Uh, mm-hmm. des- describe how it how it's laid out like how are your thoughts made into any sense at all while they're up there is it color-coded is there strings going all over the place oh, oh yes uh, not strings that's not a f- i'm not trying to find a murderer unfortunately yeah, i don't know um, where that came from sorry <laughs> <laughs> well no, that, that is the image you have is it's the strings it's just the i've never figured out i think that i don't know if that's ever really been used i think that might just be one of those terrible cliches they have in films where they're trying to find a murderer and they keep putting up pieces of string um but yeah no i, I honestly because when I write books, generally, they're almost always multiple points of view. Um, so I have different colors for the certain po- points of view. And basically every card is typically a character is typically uh, a chapter. And the whole idea is then um, you can sort of look at it, see the mix, see like, oh, it's been a while since we've cu- kind of since we've caught up with that story and make sure that you're keeping all the plates spinning, if you like. Um, and then the brilliant thing from that as a writer's perspective is if something pops into your head later on, you go, all oh, right, that needs to happen 
you know, 20 chapters ago. You just bung it on a post-it, slap it up on the board, and then go, right, that's going to happen there. And then you can just go back and, and, and fix it near, near the end when you need to. It's just a good way of keeping in the flow. Now, we so we've done the pin board, we've done the desk. On the Big Mac, what are you writing on? What software? Uh, I use Scrivener for um, pretty much everything now, yeah. Occasionally, I'll write, I'll write a short story in Word for some reason. Not even sure why, but Scrivener for everything else because it just seems like the easiest thing to to, to uh, write through, yeah. And here's where it gets proper geeky. And like <laughs> listeners have asked me this, um, do you have any staunch font opinions? Now, I ask you, I asked, um, <laughs> who did I ask? Oh, the comedian Mark Watson. He was on recently and he, oh, right. he, uh, he said that he sometimes mixes the font up when he when he's feeling a bit like uh, maybe bored with the story, he'll switch fonts and it just and, or he puts in a different font while he's editing. Uh, do you have any opinions like that? Uh, no, no, I've no strong opinions on on the font. Um, no, I mean my my wife does get incredibly uh, upset about the m dashes and the fact that I don't do it right because she's the first reader of everything and she's sort of like the editor before the editors. So, uh, but yeah, no, no, no particular fonts, but I do have to go through and try and get that right or else my wife will get very, very angry with me. Ah, okay. <laughs> now, you said something right at the start, which was, was interesting. So you said you've now got this, this, this space, this office to write in your garden. Yeah. What was the decision to, to finally get that? Because it's something of a, an ambition for writers, I think, to, to have this place of your own somewhere else oh yeah well before that because i mean this is we basically bought a house just over a year ago and we actually spent a lot of time because originally i said i want an office outside of the house that was literally one of our requirements uh, because i didn't want to write in the house um and literally i had so many real estate agents look at us like really weird you're like well there's an office and you go yeah but it's in the house and they're like but i don't and it's like, yeah, no, it has to be outside of the house. I will not work in the house because I basically I find it really, really hard to get anything done in the house. So even before that, when I lived in apartments in the center of Manchester, uh, I had my own office outside the outside of the um, apartment that I would walk to every day. Um, and I've just I've discovered, thankfully, that the office in the garden is enough of a break that it's OK that I can focus and stuff because I've tried working before because before before I was a writer of books, I, I as well as being a stand up comedian, I wrote uh tv and particularly a lot of kids tv scripts um, and i just found that if i go somewhere else um it's so much easier to focus back in my first office in manchester in fact i didn't even have wi-fi i, did, I had no broadband all i had was my laptop so there was nothing else to do but write the thing i was supposed to write is there anything that's consistent across all these writing spaces that just helps you get in the zone um I genuinely just avoid all distractions. I'm a big fan of the noise cancelling headphones. I've I've got two sets of the same noise cancelling headphones in case I can't find one of them. Um, <laughs> like I take it really seriously. And then since I'm writing the books, that the boards are always there. That's that's been a big thing. I just find that a good way of getting things out of my head and sort of because um, I think when you're writing, you can feel a little like at times like there's too much. Like oh, I know this scene's going to come up, but I haven't quite got to it yet. And I just think being able to put on a card and go, right, well, I'll stick that up on the board and we'll figure out exactly where it's coming later on. It's just a good way of sort of freeing yourself up. But no, I mean, there's, there's no consistency. I mean, there's the, the now we have the dog's bed where he will come in occasionally and lie down. Uh, mostly he'll come in, wreck the place for 15 minutes and leave again. Um, but nothing, nothing outside of that that I can think of. Because I know there's this thing about write every day. I don't actually believe in it. Um, I think, you know, I'm writing most days. Um, generally, what I do most days is, um, again, since we've moved house and stuff, it's a lot easier. 
So because now we'd sort of, you know, it's just a lot more flexible. And my wife works weirdly with me. She she sort of runs the business of my writing, if you even if you get me. So um, we'll sort of I'll sort of start off, get out of bed, um, sort of take care of the dog's needs, have a bit of breakfast, then go down to the office. Typically, what I try and do is get down to the office and get cracking and do, you know, knock out if I can knock out a thousand words uh, in a couple of hours. That's a good start to the day. Then very importantly, I mean, the reason we have a dog uh, was big for me is I want to be able to take a break and have something to get out of the house and clear my head. So I go out with the dog for a good hour long walk just to sort of, you know, clear clear everything. And I don't know if I'm actually even thinking about much um, writing stuff when I'm out with the dog. I think it's just good to have the break. Although actually, I forgot, sorry, I forgot the key part of my writing process here. I should go back. When I get out of bed, I get into the shower and that is where I figure out everything. Um, like it's amazing to the to the point. Like I literally, like I'll be st- standing in the shower, and um, my brain will just sort of tell me things that worked out during the night, and I just feel like somebody's given me a crib sheet. It's so it is so weird how how key that is to me now. Um, that literally, like, was talking to my editor. Even 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 he knows Simon. The joke was, "We'll just get in the shower. You'll figure it out." Um, so all of that does. It's amazing how much to the point where. A massive part of my thing is uh, we have to have a good shower. If we're going somewhere else and I'm still working, I'm like, I, I, is the shower good? Because it's without that, it just feels like I've got nowhere to do thinking about a story. Now, very quickly there, mm-hmm. how? what are you doing in the shower that's kind of making that happen? <laughs> Nothing like that. Stop it. No, I mean, uh, is, are, you, are you stood there? Are you... Are you asking yourself questions uh, is it or is it just magically happening while you're not thinking about it? It, it to be honest it feels and this is going to really annoy people it just sort of feels like i'm there and my brain like runs in and gives us gives me a report and goes right well you should do something with that and that scene and this it's not like i'm sort of actively going in there with questions i do have a habit when i'm going to sleep and i'm a bad sleeper a lot of time i've improved quite a lot since i gave up stand-up and my hours are more regular but um i do tend to think about stories when i'm falling off to sleep and then take the things basic sort of pop, then the shower, I'm just things kind of pop into my head. And I think it's just, it's the clearest my brain is all day and it's kind of got a, got a lot of energy. So it's obviously on some level just working through things, but it's honestly not a conscious thing. It's not like I'm going in and going, I need to figure out this, this and this. It just sort of happens. It's just interesting, isn't it? That now you're, you're, you're self-aware that that's happening. It's not ruining the magic. Yeah, no, it's it's an odd thing, and, and it's just I hop in the shower, and then you just stand there having a think. Um, and I do spend an inordinate amount of time in the shower. Like my wife literally has my wife's big thing when we moved house was we wanted to have two bathrooms, and a large part of that was the fact I'd like to get into a shower at some point. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I just sort of stand there, and it it just seems to be weirdly the place my mind is at its sharpest every day. And hopefully, you know, when you kind of have some thoughts, you come out energized. Um, and generally, this one of these things, like in writing in general, I've heard sort of other writers, great writers, I usually respect talking about how hard the, the writing process is and stuff. And I honestly don't feel that about it. I, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, you have good days and bad days, obviously. But I mean, bear in mind, my first job was cleaning up vomit on a ferry. I think you've got to have a bit of perspective on these things. I get to sit down in my little office and make things up, and that's a joyous thing. Um, so, yeah, I kind of come out with a shower energized when I kind of, th- you, you know, you got a couple of thoughts. And it's one of these things when you're writing, as any writer will know, if you've got a couple of things, oh, I like that. Then if you're looking, for, if you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's you know, you're looking forward to, to doing that. And that's one of the big things I do is say when I go back, sort of 
do the dog and and have lunch and stuff. I'll I'll do more writing do, you know, in the afternoon. And I mean, I know I don't like giving workouts and stuff, but generally, I've found these days when I'm when I'm really cooking on something, between two and three thousand words is typically what I can write in a day. Um, and one of the big things I do is at the end of the day, I like to again with the cards and stuff go right tomorrow. I need to write that like the next two chapters coming up or this one and this one. Um, so I have them in my head and I guess it's one of those things that again my subconscious is probably thinking about them so in the morning you have a couple of thoughts and stuff maybe on those chapters maybe on something else but um, yeah I think it just it just sort of helps to to plan your next day out in your head like that I think. Uh, What time will you tend to finish of an evening? Uh, Again it can vary Uh, it depends what I'm doing but typically on a typical writing day it's one of these things that um, I sort of have a certain number I can hit and if you can kind of hit that number, like I said, oh, I've got 2000 words done and you're, I try and finish. Like I don't I know some people could do this thing where they'll just finish in the middle of a chapter. I generally try and just finish the whatever I'm writing. But typically I will finish uh, usually about six o'clock or something. A lot of days I've kind of not got much done. And then about three o'clock I start kicking in. And then between three and six, I get a lot of the writing done because my brain's finally gone right. Get your act together. Um, but generally... Unless I'm finishing something up, I usually finish by about six, I think. How do you feel your energy and your attention span like waxing and waning through the day? I mean, you have your, your couple of hours in the morning. Uh, through the afternoon, are, are you good at you know, focusing it or is it every half hour you find yourself drifting out and you need to pull yourself back in? Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. It sort of varies day to day. I mean, I have I generally try and leave my phone up in the the kitchen of the house where my wife is usually working and where she is with the dog, because it was one of these things where you know in case I get a phone call from home or something, I'd have to be aware of my phone because I've got elderly parents and all that. But um, I I do like not having the phone because it is obviously a distraction. Um, so I generally try and keep distractions away from myself. Um, but it, yeah, it it sort of varies. But I think now. Probably if you can get a good morning in, I always feel like that's a good positive thing. And it's one of these things that if you actually have a good morning, it's so much easier to have the good afternoon because you've kind of got the energy and you're, you're excited. Whereas occasionally you have to have a strong word with yourself about three o'clock and go, right, you're supposed to be doing some work, do some actual work. And I have noticed, and I'm sure it's the thing a lot of writers notice, I have noticed that the days I think I'm doing, the days I, th- you know, the very rare days I'm like, I'm God's gift to writing. And it's like coming out easily. You just sort of go with it. And on the bad days, you force yourself into it. But I have noticed most of the time when you go back and read those two days, you don't actually notice that much of a difference. It's more in your head than I think it is in the reality of what's on the page, which I think is an important thing to know because I kind of learned that as I went and I kind of went, right, if you're not feeling it, just keep going, get to this point, And then you can, because I always, when I'm writing as well, sorry, I'm going all over the place. I'm, I'm explaining this terribly. Big part of what I do is generally on my thing is I will write, um, I start the day reading what I've, ri- what I've written the day before. Uh, and I go through all of that and I just kind of scan through it, give it a fix up. Usually doesn't take that long, but it's sort of, you know, just looking for errors or looking for something you can rephrase better. And then once I've done that, my kind of head's in, it's got my head in the space as well of writing. And then the idea is to kick on and write the next bit. Um, And it also means hopefully that by the time you get to the end of the draft, I find like the draft is, is in pretty good nick. Now, aside from having a strong, stern word with yourself on the days when it's not going so well, uh, is there anything else that you that you use to 
to just help you out when the words aren't coming, something maybe that's that's unique to you, a, a coffee at a certain time, a precise bit of music, for instance? Um, I, do, I do use uh, Brain FM. I will stick that on. Um, I always write with noise. Sorry? Brain FM. It's a thing where it's um, it's basically gives you specific, you can go in and go uh, focus and it'll give you this music. It's It's music, but it's not music in the sense that it's a very long track that sort of changes gradually over time. It's not like you're listening to a certain artist and stuff. Their, their music's been designed supposedly to help you focus. Um, so I do use that quite a bit where I'll stick on something like that a lot of the time. That or occasionally um, plinky plonky piano music. I can't listen to anything with lyrics. Um, I'm jealous of people who say they can and people who say they can listen to like rock music and stuff when they're writing because that's my genre. But I cannot. That that completely loses all focus for me. So I generally like on Spotify. I'm on these these sort of study music playlists. So you get all this piano music or orchestral, which then means that Spotify has no idea what I actually like, incidentally, and I get some very weird recommendations. Um, so yeah, I do use that. I use the noise canceling headphones an awful lot. A lot of the time, I have the headphones and they're not actually turned on and stuff, but they're always weirdly on my head. Um. So I use that stuff to focus myself. Occasionally, I will use like a my variation of the Pomodoro method or what have you, where I'll set a timer for 45 minutes uh, to, to 50, something like that, and then just try and get a thousand words out in that time if I'm trying to push myself. Um, but generally, what I find with the Pomodoro thing is I usually just turn it off and keep going um, when I when I kind of get into a flow. Um, so those are the tricks I use, I think, just to try and get myself focused. Yeah. Before I started writing novels, and I only started writing my first novel uh, sort of four and a half years ago now. Um, I, you know, I was I was right. I had TV scripts. I had about God between ten and a dozen TV set of sitcom scripts, option that never went anywhere and stuff. And honestly, since I wrote my first novel, one of the biggest things is it's genuine. You think, well, I'm writing this, and people are going to read it. Like this is a real thing. Because I know, like, you know, when I self-published a load of stuff, independently published and all that initially, and I still do that as well as being a, a traditionally published author now. But just that knowledge that this is going somewhere is great. And when I say it's easy, it's just, I don't, I don't mean to be in any way, you know, that's not probably been a, bit, a bit dismissive of anything, but it's just um, in the sense that I got really used to, I wrote kids TV things and stuff, and you can't, um, when you write those kind of scripts, ring up and go, oh, yes, my, my muse is not with me today. I'm sorry. I, I just don't have the end No, it's, it's a job. Um, and I always view writing as a craft and not an art. And I am very specific in that. And the reason that is, is, is a craft is something you, you control. You turn up and you chip away. And it's like the, I'm sure we've all read On Writing by Stephen King at this point, brilliant as it is. And he talks about his muse as a big angry woman. He just sits there and turns up and tells him to get to work. And I feel the exact same with that. It, it, I just, I view it as a craft. I view it as something I can do if I apply myself rather than something I'm waiting for inspiration for. Um, because then it's not in my control. Um, so when I say it's, it, it, I don't say it's easy, but I mean, that, that's probably the wrong, the wrong word. But I enjoy the process overall and most of the time if i know where i'm going with it i i really enjoy and plus just the feeling of if you're getting the thing done that i wanted to get done is massive the happiest i am is my wife will tell you so if i get to six o'clock and go i did i got that chapter done i've done that if i've done my walk with the dog and i've done my my writing for the day then i am a delight to be around for the entire evening uh, if i have not managed those two things then i'm a bit more of a grumpy sod well more about that that the grumpy sod if it's all right just because like being a being a like a writer pretty much full time and and I 
don't know that, but I'm I'm freelance, so I kind of know like an essence of it. In in it, the kind of guilt if you've not managed to do it. Like if you're working a nine to five, uh, like a, a for want of a better word, a normal office job or something. You know, you don't have to take your work home with you. Whereas if you don't get what you want to get done by by six o'clock, how how guilty do you feel or are you pretty chilled knowing that you can pick it up again tomorrow yeah i mean generally it's one of these things where my wife is great at these these things where she should go look just take a day off i mean we had a lot especially to be honest being 2020 the year that it was um my wife was great with just going just just take the day off if you're not like just don't give yourself a break um she's like you'll 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 pick it up you always end up getting you know you know you've never missed the deadline you do generally overall i'm lucky enough where i overall get a reasonable amount of writing done so i think my wife is very good and just going look you occasionally have these days don't worry about it you'll get over it take it a fresh start tomorrow get out get, get some fresh air um you know and and again we have this it's important as well that i think you have to try and leave stuff behind particularly because my wife sort of basically works with me now um you know we do this as a full-time thing so we do have to have that kind of rule of about like we're gonna have a meeting and stuff and then when we when we sit down to watch tv and stuff we'll try and just be normal people um and and not just talk about our work all the time um so i think it's one of these things that it helps when you've been through the process quite a bit and to be honest i was a stand-up and that was much more the highs and lows are much more pronounced there um because you know i mean say what you want as a writer it's really rare that as a writer if you do if you have a bad day somebody comes up to you in the toilets afterwards and tries to headbutt you. That's very unusual. I'm not saying it'll never happen. And my wife's had thrown a couple of punches at me over the years, but generally uh, that doesn't happen. Whereas if you're a stand-up and if you have a properly bad day, it stays with you. Um, whereas as a writer, you get to start fresh every day. And if you really have a bad day, you can throw it out. No one else knows. Whereas if you're a stand-up, believe me, people will know. Did you say you, you first started on your, your first novel four and a half years ago? It came out four and a half years. I probably started just about five and a half. It was probably about a year before when I, I started until it eventually came out. Um, and you've done 10 in that time. Is that right? Yeah, but more or less. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, I mean, I think that's right. 2016. Yeah, it came out in August 2016. Oh, actually, maybe that's probably, it's probably a bit longer than that. Well, yeah, about five and a half years. What was it? Because if I started just sort of about October 2015. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's that scans. Um, yeah, so that's tight. Is what is is what I'm getting at here. That is that is speedy work. Through that through that time, how have you met? How have you had to to kind of manage your year to to be able to get them out with such frequency? Well, it's it sort of helps that I mean I was because I was a stand up. Frankly, a lot of time during the day. Um, so when I say my first one came out in August 2016, I think I'd nearly written the second one by then because that was the, the kind of thing where I, I sort of, to be honest, went looking for a publishing contract, um, didn't really get much interest. I was told it was too funny and too Irish, um, which is the quote we use quite a lot. And that was the point we just went, right, we'll do this ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, then I always kind of, again, because I was used to writing kids TV scripts and stuff. So I'm used to going in and working. And it was one of these things where stand up was great, where you can manage around it. And then for the last couple of years, I actually retired from stand up um, June of uh, 2019, which was, as my friend Gary says, is one of the finest pieces of comedic timing ever, seeing as I managed to leave stand up just before a pandemic, put everyone else out of business. God love them. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of, but even before then, I was supporting my friends um, Gary and Sarah on tour. So I wasn't really even doing clubs and stuff. So I had a lot of time. And I, I guess, as my wife says, you're weirdly a hardworking, lazy person. It's that I'm spectacularly lazy in a lot of ways. But I do seem to, when it comes to this sort of thing, have a work ethic. 
um and again a lot was i was trained do the kids tv work i did um because i worked with a brilliant company called darren mcqueen who frankly brought me in when i had no idea what i was doing i just got they just read a script i'd written and liked it that wasn't even a kids tv script they brought me in and frankly just taught me how to work um and taught me about you know rewriting and stuff they were an amazing training the best you could ever have um and because of that i think i'm just used to to getting stuff done and again when the first one went out and people liked it and stuff you kind of got excited and just thought right and you know it's 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 thrilling to know people have i think it really helps if you know people are waiting for to read the next thing that you're you're excited about writing it so um i think that helped a lot yeah sorry i'm not sure if i may have entirely wondered off whatever the question was i do apologize (laughs) no no you didn't at all just to focus in on it further how long do you like to give yourself for a first draft i mean it varies a lot i'd say in the last year i've probably um come down to where i kind of give myself sort of like three months um because when i'm sort of ready to go on the book it can take between two and three months. I mean, frankly, when we had, it was a month this year, I sort of wrote a book I wasn't planning to do as a spinoff just as a sort of break for myself. And I think, I know like one month I wrote 60,000 words of that book, which is very unusual. Um, And that was kind of, I almost, I think I said at the time, I don't ever want to write that much in a month again. It was only because there was literally nowhere else to go and nothing to do. Um, And so, yeah, I generally give myself, about three months but that's you know occasionally that's that's not by any means like i know the stranger times i stopped halfway through and i felt i just need a break from this it was more i want it was because i think when you're writing with characters you know that's a big difference as well that's that's massive because there's a lot less to figure out because you know what those if those characters clearly define your head it helps an awful lot because you know it, it just makes a lot more sense whereas if you're writing something entirely new i think i did realize that when i did the stranger times after doing all these other other books that I realized I had to give myself more time and more space because I needed to figure out the characters and, you know, get more comfortable in the world. So whereas the second book of that took, um, yeah, just about two to three months to write the first draft. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from CK McDonald in just a sec. Uh, before then, a very quick reminder, if you enjoy these podcasts... If you think they're worth uh, a few quid, a couple of dollars a month, uh, you can do that. You can send that our way to help us out. Just support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You get our um, devoted, unending, eternal thanks. Uh, you get a few bits of merch as well. Uh, there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. Now, it doesn't need to be a lot, um, and I'm English, so you're pretty timid talking about it. But if you do love what we do, if you want to see it carry on as as long as we can we can make it work. Uh, if you want these episodes with the best authors around to come into your podcast feed as frequently on a Friday as we can manage, uh, you can help that happen. Head to patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then, chatting to CK McDonald about his brand new novel, The Stranger Times. In this half, uh, we talk about the invention of the book. Uh, the first idea of it and how he seeped his comedy into the story. Also, uh, you can hear how much he knows about his character and why he likes to annoy them. And we pick things up talking about the fact that he's Irish. Now, um, I know that you might be listening to this in in far-flung, exotic places across the globe, but um, there are some parts of the British Isles where those who live there are natural-born storytellers. It's their culture. It's like something in the water. They just have it. Um, uh, Like Liverpool, for instance. The Scouts tell beautiful stories. Uh, South London uh, with the old Dockers. Uh, Incredible at at spinning their yarns, uh, pushing words together at incredible speeds. And Ireland is probably one of the best of all of them. Uh, I mean, think of all the Irish comedians, the Irish storytellers. They have a way of putting words together to keep you riveted. And uh, Cueve is an Irishman. So I thought, while I had the opportunity, I'd ask him about it. I think there is a cultural thing in it that if you're, um, like, I have an uncle who's a who's a great storyteller. And, you know, especially if you're, you know, growing up in the times there were. We live in the times now with Netflix and stuff. But obviously, you've got to remember, back in the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, there wasn't that level of a thing. So somebody being able to hold a story, hold a group and tell a story was considered a great thing. And I guess that's part of it. I know I've always seen that in my uncles and stuff, that there is that respect for someone who can tell a story. I mean, more it's more of an um, an, sort of oral thing, but I guess the accent lends itself. It does have a good rhythm for storytelling. I mean, like if you look at Irish stand-up comedians, my God, there's so many amazing, I mean, Dylan Moran, Dara Breen, Tommy Tiernan, um, and those are just three off the top of my head. There's so many brilliant ones. Um, it's just seems it does seem to be something in our culture that 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 does um, let us do that. But yeah, it's as much as I can tell. I guess it's kind of in the air. It's something that's always respected, and I guess it's one of those self fulfilling prophecies, isn't it? That when you see, you know, particularly probably more in stand up Irish. Irish people being good stand-ups and people like Deirdre Kane and all that being fantastic stand-ups. It encourages the next generation to do it. So it's one of those sort of self-fulfilling prophecies, I think. Let's get to the book then. It's The Stranger Times. Uh, tell me about the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your head. Well, interestingly enough, uh, it actually was, I because I've always been fascinated by uh, weird news, the 14 times, all that kind of stuff. That's always been something that's really interested me. And I actually wrote a sitcom script probably somewhere around 15, 16 years ago, 
that was essentially the start of this book, um, which at the time I'd never written a book. I had no intention of writing a book, but I kind of wrote this. And I think at the time, frankly, I don't think particularly got it. Um, I don't recall it even going to anybody or kind of going anywhere. I think I weirdly wrote the script of it in a couple of days because I was just so excited about the idea. Um, so it was one of the things where it sort of sat around. And then weirdly, when I came to, I was going to write another book and something entirely different to the Dublin trilogy and stuff I'd written before. I was going through all these ideas. I had, again, in my office, I had this board with all these cards up for different story ideas, different novels and stuff I was thinking of. And I woke up one morning, again, got in the shower, remembered the Stranger Times. It was called something slightly different, but it was that that idea about the newspaper. I started thinking about it. I walked to my office in Manchester and I was thinking, oh, this should be in Manchester. Because um, I, I, I genuinely have a deep love as an adopted Mancunian, have a deep love for the place. And it just seemed like it fit. It fit. And by the time I got to my office, I was I was supposed to be coming up with a slightly more serious crime book idea that I was talking to a couple of ages at the time. Um, and I was supposed to be pitched. That was the thing, like they were looking for something to pitch and that would be it. I got to my office, just went, oh, screw it. I'm going to write this. And it's going to be, you know, it'll be funny and, and it'll be paranormal or as opposed to really crime, although there's a crime element to it. But yeah, it was kind of that, that idea after about 15 years popped back into my head. And then after that, it was one of those sort of rushes where you're like trying to get to a piece of paper and write everything down because it just sort of fitted together very, very quickly. What comes next when you've got that initial idea then and you are like frantically writing down some of the early ideas that you've got with your um with the post-it notes? Like before you first start writing that very, very first sentence of a story, what do you need to know about the, the, the book that it will become? I think you need to know that I'm, I'm characters because I tend to write funny stuff, I don't think I'll always write funny stuff, but everything I have so far has been funny stuff. Um, and I think good comedy comes out of character. So I think you do need an idea of some of the main characters. Uh, like certainly for The Stranger Times, there was, again, going back to that sitcom script, I had the idea of the character that became Hannah in it, who was a, a woman who'd just gone through a terrible life change. She basically had to leave her husband and all that. And she was looking for a fresh start. Because that's just interestingly, that's a great person to follow as an author, because that's someone going through a massive change who basically is the eyes of the audience into the world. And then the idea that there was horrendous ogre of an editor who became Vincent Bancroft, that was in the original thing as well. So I sort of had that. Um, I think when you have the characters and stuff like that, I had a few ideas of how it would start off. And literally the first few chapters, this was weird in the sense that the first few chapters are kind of what was in the sitcom script which, by the way, nobody can find a copy of, So, well, but that's my memory of it. Um, so, yeah, I kind of had that. And then it's one of these things where, again, I have the board. I sort of have the characters. I have certain scenes that are going to happen. I'll never know what's happening all the way through, but I'll have enough. And I think when I actually start writing, I have to have about probably the first seven or eight chapters. I have to need to know where I'm going for the first couple of weeks and then have an idea beyond that of where it will head. But fairly specifically, I need to know the first act, I think and a rough idea where we're heading after that. For something like The Stranger Things, if it is so character-driven, though, um, how do you develop a plot from that? I, I, it, I, can it really be as easy as just kind of, you know, shoving these people in, the, in an office, in a, in a newspaper, in a newsroom, and seeing what happens? Oh, no, I mean, you develop the... I mean, the plot is sort of... That was, again, because I had the idea of the newspaper, and the difference between the sitcom... I sort of remember the sitcom idea, which was, again, a sort of idea of this newspaper. but when writing the book, you sort of think, well, it'll happen. And then you kind of actually, one of the big things that hit me on the first day was some of the stuff has to be real. Like some of all of a sudden, and then you're kind of going, all right, well, what would be real? And you're like, well, you know, a world where there's sort of more magic and stuff. 
And when I started thinking about that, then you just start thinking of that kind of plot area. And I've sort of, I mean, I've read a reasonable amount in that area, but not a huge, like not a huge amount. You know, I'm a huge Terry Pratchett fan and stuff, but that's a very different world in the sense that this was going to be contemporary and all that. So I think, yeah, once you have the characters, it's not so much that they define the plot, but they, if you know what needs to happen in a certain scene, I can let the characters go and they, they get from A to B. And again, it's a big thing where people are always asking questions about how you write funny stuff. And and this again is an annoying answer, but um, I don't really, I just have, I know what needs to happen. I know I have to get from point A to point B. And I think really strongly that comedy is not a genre in a book. I think comedy is a style and it's just how you tell the story. It's not. And if you, when you're doing it wrongly, I think if you're trying to get to a joke instead of get to something that happens, that's where you go wrong. You have to respect the story above all else. So I think it's more when you get the ideas, you get the people in, in the thing and then you think, oh, what will happen with these people? And then it's think, well, who'd be dealing with this? And, you know, B stories, because you think there's this, this Stranger Times is a, is, a, is a staff. So there's like, well, these two people will be working on this thing and then what will happen with the B story? And I know I generally have a B story in the Stranger Times books and I know it was like, okay, well, these two will need to go somewhere and do something else, that kind of thing. And then you sort of figure out the story. But I think once you have the characters, you can see it through their eyes. But then, yeah, that's and you sort of figure it out from that way, I think. So much of funny writing um, I mean, by its very nature of being writing, it has to be concerned with the actual words that you're using. Um, how much thought do you give to the next word that is coming? Generally, I find I think the easiest thing is to write what you've got now. So you put down and you go and then uh, if you look at a certain line and go, eh, that's not quite right. Um, I know I'm going to come back to it tomorrow. And then tomorrow is the point where I will kind of read it more and go, OK, that doesn't really flow. Um, so I think the biggest thing is you keep going and you get it down. Because again, if your primary concern is I need to make this funny, then you're, I really feel like you're doing it wrong. If your primary concern is if you can get to the point you need to get to in the story, then you can always go back. And it's actually, it's a lot easier to make it funny afterwards. Um, you know, if if it's appropriate to the scene. So I think, yeah, you just sort of keep um, think, but I don't I don't worry about the particular words and like this word is funny and stuff because a friend of mine is a guy called Gary Delaney, who's a brilliant one liner comedian, uh, pretty much one of the best in the world, really. And um, he spends hours and I mean hours looking at words. He is an, like because he spent one of his jokes is but a one liner comedian, by the way, they're almost always never one liner jokes. They're always two lines, um, almost always. And he spends hours just looking for the perfect word. Um, which isn't something I do because I'm trying, even when I was doing stand-up, I'm trying to tell the story. So primarily I would tell the story first and then you go back and rework it to get the phrasing and stuff just a bit better and and flowing a bit more. I think you do need to get ideally a pretty good idea of the character when you first have him in there. I think you develop it later on as you go, but I think, you know, because you have to make sure that they have a a distinct personality. And like, for example, I mean, kind of earlier in one of my books, like I basically I did the Dublin trilogy, which ended up being four books. And then I, I did a series where the main character moved to America, Bunny. Um, and I actually in my head, I genuinely thought this is going to be more standalone in the sense that it's going to be him and his own. And initially, one of the ideas was like the start of the finish, like a Lee Child book where it's basically always the main character. There's not many other characters that recur in any of the um, Jack Reacher books, as far as I'm aware. Um, I've read quite a few. I don't think there is. Um, but I thought it'd be much more like that. And it turns out that's not how I write. I basically oh, I'm always creating groups. So I ended up, unfortunately, just, well, not unfortunately, but I basically end up getting more and more characters 
involved um you know and then people sort of go well, are they coming back because they enjoyed them so they end up you end up building more and more on them but i think you do if you're getting them right i like to think you have them pretty early doors a pretty good understanding and then you kind of learn them as you go and you'd always particularly something like backstory i think for example you don't have to explain a, a character's backstory but i think it's a good idea if you have a rough idea of it even if it comes up three books later that you from the first book you would have had a good idea of where that was well, and this is a leading from that. It's a hopelessly cliched question, uh, but it kind of has to be asked on a writing podcast. Uh, how do you get to know your characters? Is there any tricks and techniques that you use to to, to understand them? Um, I don't. I don't. I know some people do these detailed breakdowns and this, that, and the other. That's not something I do. I think what I honestly do is because I think a big part of what I do is the dialogue is a strong part of my style, and the, the reason that is is I actually spent so long writing scripts tv scripts and they are mostly dialogue um so dialogue becomes the the, the way that my primary weapon if you like that's the, the thing i use most um and in any situation if i find a chapter is not going well it invariably is because people aren't talking to each other it's why i end up using so many characters it's because somebody on their own for me is something i can write occasionally but it's always better if there's two of them because then they're bouncing off each other um so how i, n- I get to know them is I literally just let them have a conversation and they start having an actually an argument in particular is very good because an argument tells an awful lot about a character is how annoyed they get, what annoys them. You do actually learn an awful lot. It's like if you're in a relationship with somebody, how you learn a lot more about the other person is it's not really when you're walking on the beach, staring at deep to each other's eyes. If you have an argument, you find out about people uh, because then you find out what really winds them up, you know, how they calm themselves down, how angry they get and all that sort of stuff. And it's, you know, it's kind of a real, it's a much more real picture of somebody. So I do, I like to get them in there and I like to find out what annoys them because I think that is the first thing that really reveals character. Now we've spoken about your your, your quick turnaround and how you're somewhat of a workhorse, of a, a lazy workhorse of a writer. Um, <laughs> how much of it do you tend to get done on, on, on the first novel or uh, are you quite an overwriter who has to edit a lot on the on the back end? Oh, like the first draft. Um, generally, um, you know, Jinx Touchwood. Uh, I'm trying to think back on the Stranger Times. I mean, there was quite a few changes in there and stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm quite lucky in the sense that basically I have a, a system where um, my wife reads everything first, and she comes from an editorial background, more educational publishing. But she comes to, and she has a degree in English and stuff, so she sort of reads through it, and she will go, uh, "This doesn't make sense," or "That doesn't make sense," and I go, "All right," and then I'll fix it. And then it goes to the, the normal editors and stuff after that. So um, I don't, I think because I do that thing where I write, I read yesterday, first thing today. And, you know, and every, so every everything's kind of been gone through twice at least. And what will normally happen, to be honest, in a book is I have a tendency to stop at certain points, maybe about 30,000 words in or 70,000 words. It's not a set thing, but it just sort of happens in the flow of it. And I'll go back, I'll, I'll load it up to my Kindle and I'll read what I've got so far. And then I'll take notes and stuff. So it ends up by the time I get to near the end that I've kind of been through it quite a bit. So my first draft ends up being quite clean just because I've gone through it quite a lot to get to the end. And lastly, and I'm interested with this one, especially what you were talking about, your mate uh, Gary there. Um, and I know some some funny writers uh, will, you know, spend time shaving off the syllables to make sure the beat and the metrics is right in the line. What is stand-up comedy taught you about writing novels i think um 
it teaches you good and bad things. I think it teaches you rhythm. I think that's probably just automatically in my head. So I kind of when I write a sentence, typically first time round, it normally has a reasonably good rhythm because I get asked a lot. Do I do I read my stuff out uh, when I'm going through it? And honestly, I've tried that a couple of times, but I don't actually. But I think it's just in my head. I when I write, I'm used to it being, you know, it was kind of from that speaking it as a stand up. So it's probably just inbuilt in there. So I think as as a stand up, you also get that alarm bell if you're trying to be funny and you think, well, nothing's happened in the last. There's a certain amount of time that you think, oh, nothing's happened here. Like you, you can lose an audience. You have to win people over and, and keep them consistently as a stand up. So it probably gives that alarm bell about this hasn't happened yet and that hasn't, you know. So, but you, the other side of it is one of my first a guy called Scott Pack, who's a brilliant editor who edits my um, bunny books, and. One of the first lessons I learned was on my first book, he got to the last couple of chapters and he went through and he said, you see that joke and that joke and that joke and that joke and that joke. I said, yeah, they're all good jokes. Take them all out because we're now in a serious position where we care about the character. We want to find out what happens to the characters and the characters are in peril. You want to be careful to never undercut that. So he basically that was more and that was more of a confidence thing, because when you're used to being a stand up comedian or something like if the funny is the thing you do then you use it, you can, you can overuse it, I think, particularly when you start off. And the, a, a good editor will go, right, get rid of all that, as Scott did. And it was a great lesson because from there on in, I remember learned, I just had a lot more respect for the drama. And I think that's really important. And again, that's something that stand-up, you have to sort of learn to respect that because a stand-up, you just have to be funny all the way through. So I think there's various things like that. I think it teaches you resilient stand-up because you have to be resilient as a stand-up. Um and just yeah I think rhythm is the big thing though yeah and that is it for this week's writer's routine thank you so much to CK McDonnell for coming on the show Uh, you can get a copy of his brand new book the start of a new series the stranger times uh, in the episode notes wherever you're listening and it's over at writersroutine.com next week uh, we are chatting to Will Dean all about his new novel it's making huge waves at the moment it's called the last thing to burn you can hear about how he wrote it whilst hibernating in the Scandinavian wilderness. I warn you now, it's pretty idyllic. You will be jealous. That's next week on Writer's Routine. In the meantime, uh, drop us a follow on Twitter. We are at Writer's Pod on there. If you have a spare second, leave us a very quick review over on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you're listening. And you can always support the show over at patreon.com forward slash Writer's Routine. And I will see you next week with Will Dean on the show. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.